Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody here this morning. I hate that you missed the early service. We, how many of you didn't even know we had a baptistry hiding back there behind that wall? Well, we baptized three this morning, Lee and Mason Langdon and Daniel Hermes. And so it was an incredible time for our family just to celebrate God's work in their life. And so uh, you can go online and watch that if you'd like. Uh, we're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 7, as we come to the very end of our study of Samuel. We uh, have one message left in the book next week. Um, as, we looked, as I looked at this text and thought about where the Lord was leading, I, I was reminded of a trip a couple of years ago or several years ago our family took to uh, Tennessee area. And we did a hike on the Tennessee mountains or hills. And I just want to say that and pause and let y'all take in the athleticism of me and my family. It was a hike. I don't get to say that often. It was really more of a walk. It was less than a mile. We went to the, the sign and we were like, just Lord, please don't let us accidentally get on one of those long hikes. Which color, which one is the mile? It's a circle, you can't get lost. And so we get on that and we're walking and I'm gonna use hiking from now on. We are hiking like real athletic people and we get to a place where we desperately needed a rest and we're so, yes, it was less than a mile. We desperately needed a rest. And we were excited that there was this overlooking a beautiful hilltop mountain. I mean, it was probably in the clouds. It was a mountain, I'm sure. And it was a place to take pictures and they had a bench where you could rest. And so it was beautiful and wonderful. And then we said, okay, well, I guess we gotta go and finish this long hike that we're on. And so we started going again. And I confess to the early service that the story would sound much different in the second service because my wife will be sitting right there. But in, at this moment in the hike, she starts to grow in her intense worry or concern about our livelihood. She's wondering, have we gotten off onto the 25 mile track somehow? Are we lost? Do we know what we're doing? We don't have enough water. We don't have enough snacks because we bring our pantry wherever we go. We, we don't have all the resources we need. and. And so as the people were walking by, see, in your mind, you thought we were out in alone, isolated. No, there were people everywhere walking by. And they were, she was like, ask them, ask them. I was like, I'm not asking them. And she's like, ask them, make sure that we haven't missed the, that we hadn't gotten off on the wrong track. I'm like, no, we're gonna be okay. Why was she hysterical? Because she knows me and she knows me well. And I can get lost in Shreveport and I've been here my entire life. And so she knew the one leading and she didn't have the utmost confidence and she had lost perspective. She really wasn't quite sure where we were on this trek. Now, why do I say this? What's the point? Life is a journey. It's, it's a long trek. It is a long path and there will be ups and downs and twists and turns and we need to maintain perspective if we're gonna be faithful and we need to have a reminder that you can put your faith in your leader, in the Lord himself. And that's the only way we're going to remain faithful through the ups and downs, the twists and turns of life. We have to maintain perspective of where we are in the journey, where we're headed, and we have to maintain confidence in our leader, the Lord himself. He is faithful. And that's, the, that's how the Bible is such a gift to us because what God provided the Bible for is just that. It's a constant reminder of 
Let's reset our bearings. Let's get our perspective to know where we are, where we fit in this journey. And don't forget, God, your leader, is faithful. There may be something going on. You may think you've gotten off track. You may think you've missed the exit. You may think you're not going to have enough water. But God is a faithful leader. He will provide and you can trust him. And this is what God gives you to continue to engender your faithfulness. God's faithfulness is what helps us remain faithful. Let's ask the Lord help us today. Lord, we pray for your help this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray your help that it will remind us that you are faithful. You are carrying out your plans. You're carrying out your purposes. You're keeping your promises. And Lord, I pray that that will give each one of us what we need to stay faithful in the days ahead. Help us to continue to trust you and obey you one step at a time. We pray all this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right, so two places in your Bible to start out. You can keep your finger, uh, if you have electronic Bible, then I don't know how you do this. Maybe you can't do it. But if you've got a paper Bible, you keep your finger in 2 Samuel 23, and then turn back to 2 Samuel 7. Everyone say 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7. Is that ingrained on your heart? It needs to be. We're about to finish the book of Samuel's, First and 2 Samuel. You need to know 2 Samuel 7. That is like a linchpin of all your Bible. It, it, it builds to 2 Samuel 7, and the rest of your Bible is an unfolding of 2 Samuel 7. And I want you to know that, so we're going to say it one more time. Say 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7. All right. So in 2 Samuel 7, there are these massive promises that were part of what we call the Davidic covenant. God made a covenant with David, and it's filled with these promises that are unfolded in the rest of your Bible. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to, we're going to read along and see if we can answer this question. Was David the fulfillment of this promise? Keep that in mind as I read the promises again. Now that we're at the end of the book, you are in a position to answer the question, was David the fulfillment of these promises? So let me read the promises again. 2 Samuel 7, verses 8 through 17. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, and he's going to review history. You've read about this. You remember these scenes. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should become prince over all my people. Yep, I remember that. I remember David and Goliath. That was awesome. Can keep reading. And I have been with you, the Lord says. I have been with you wherever you went. Yeah, we saw that. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. He's given them victory after victory. And I will, so now we got a future tense. I will make for you a great name. I think so. Like the name of the great ones on the earth. Yes, definitely. We still talk about David. So check, he did that. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them. Yep, he planted them in the promised land. They went from Egypt. Now they're in the promised land and now they're just as people. Now they're a kingdom in the promised land. So check, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. I'm going to say it's a partial check. The Philistines keep attacking them and keep attacking them. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people of Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Partially check. Moreover, 
The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house and make David a household. Okay, kind of. We see Solomon, is, we see his family, and that kind of goes into Kings. But let's just say partial check now. Verse 12. Now, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring. This is the heart of the Davidic covenant. I will raise up your offspring after you, your seed after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, if we read Kings, you would go, oh, this is Solomon, his son. In verse 13, he shall build a house for my name. Yeah, he built this incredible temple. And I will establish his throne and his kingdom forever? No, that's not what happened. I will be to him a father, to this seed, this son of David. He will be a king. He will have have his household. He will establish God's household. And he will have, and God says, I will be He will have a throne that lasts forever. I will be to him, that one, a father. He shall be to me a son. So he'll be a son of David, a son of God. He'll have an eternal kingdom. And when he bears iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I Put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, wait a minute. I ask you, has has all that happened? No. So here we are at the end of the book of the first and second Samuel, which originally was just one book. At the end of the book, And then we've already seen that this is all an appendix that has been added to the end of the book. Like, oh, you need to know this, you need to know this, you know this before I wrap it up. And the point is, we're going to see God's not done. This big old promise that was made in 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant, it hasn't been fulfilled fully. And what, what begins to happen is David and his kingdom and his life teaches us a lot. It it points us to this is kind of what it's going to be like one day whenever it was at its best, that there will be a king that God places over his people. They'll defeat all the enemies and, and the kingdom will reign very powerfully and beautifully to the glory of God where, where the king is reigning and ruling. But it hasn't happened yet fully. And so the point that, that we're going to see of today is God is not done yet. God is is still faithfully carrying out his plan. He's working out his plan and his promises. And if we lose perspective, if we forget that and we think God's already done and and he's done with you and he's done with me and he's done with this world, then, then we're going to get discouraged and start hyperventilating and start trying to figure out what do we do? But that's not the case. So turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to see, appended to the end of the book, some of David's last words. Verse 1. Now, these are the last words of David, the one we've been reading about. So someone has attached to the end of the book 
some other last words of David, the oracle of David, who is the son of Jesse. The oracle of the man who is raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob or Israel, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The sweet psalmist of Israel. So the author has appended to the end of Samuel. Y'all still with me? Say, I'm with you. All right. All right, this is a lot of like a a seminary class and I know I'm gonna have to keep you engaged or you're gonna be like, what's for lunch? All right, I'm gonna keep you engaged. All right, so the author is taking some last words of the sweet psalmist, attached them to the end of Samuel and listen to what he says. The sweet psalmist, the one who wrote the Psalms in the book of your Bible says this in verse two, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. What is he saying? He's saying God inspired the Psalms that are also in your Bible. You've read the narratives about David's life. Now also think about the Psalms that were written by David. David says that those Psalms were written by God. They were the words of God. And so what is the author of the Bible doing? God inspired the authors and the collectors of the Bible to say, think about the perspective here that the word of God is given to you to lift your eyes up and gain perspective that David was not the Messiah. The kingdom that David built was not the messianic kingdom. And to a people of Israel, who received that Hebrew Bible first were in the darkest, most miserable, most hopeless, most destitute, most depressing, most discouraging days you can imagine. Everything they had put their hopes upon, King David is no longer king. Solomon has failed. The temple that he built has been destroyed. We're not in the land that we were planted in. They were kicked out of the land by the Assyria, by the Babylonians. All hope is lost except for the word of God that says, think bigger than this. Quit losing sight of the bigger perspective. God has a plan for his world. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe your hopes have been set on a person, a politician, a political party, a job, a wife, a husband, a child, a family, an image. What is it that you have set your hopes upon and you're realizing it's going to fail me. God is saying, there's a plan and God is faithful. Continuing in verse three, David tells us what the Lord is saying through his Psalms that he wrote, that God spoke through him. Says the God of Israel has spoken. What did he say? The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules justly over men, that's kingly language, when you finally have the just king, kind of like David, but much better than David, ruling in the reverential fear and honor and worship of God, he dawns on them like the morning light. 
like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So what David is saying is God inspired in the Psalms to tell you a new day is coming. When the ruler, the promised anointed one comes who reigns and rules justly, it will be a new day for the entire heavens and the earth because when the sun rises, it covers all of the land and that's what it's gonna be like when the king finally arrives. So don't lose hope. He says, that's what my Psalms are about. They're about the new day that God is still promising he will bring forth. One such psalm is, is this beautiful psalm in Psalm 111, 7 through 10, says the works of his hands are faithful and just and all his precepts are trustworthy. No matter where you are, God's word is still trustworthy and they are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. God, your leader, is still faithful, still upright. And then listen to this. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant for how long? For how long? Forever. He has commanded his covenant forever. Are you living in that time span? Are you part of forever? Yes, God is saying that I am faithful, I have plans, I have purposes, I have promises, and I will be faithful to those promises forever. No matter when you, li when you live, whether it was before Christ, after Christ, during Christ, God is faithful forever. Holy and awesome is his name. And so I think this psalm is a great example of reminding us, lifting our eyes up to gain perspective no matter what trial you're running through. Maybe you're on the path and you're in that part of the path that is just, you are, you are dying. You're hurting, you're cramping, you're suffering, and you don't know if you're gonna make it. God is faithful. God is faithful for how long? Say it with me, forever. Or maybe you're at that rest stop, you're on the park bench, you're empty nesting like me and you're sitting in the, taking in the view and you're thinking, I kind of like it here. I'm not sure I want to suffer anymore. I'm not sure I'm going to start getting on that trail again. And what does the Lord say? Well, you're not done yet. You got to keep on keeping on. Wherever you are on the path, we got to remember that God is faithful and we have to keep being faithful in response to his faithfulness. I hope this gives you hope no matter where you are on that journey. Speaking of hope, we see David, we see his, the basis of David's hope in this key verse, verse five. Look at verse five, chapter 23, verse five. He says, for my house, he says, for does not my house stand so with God? For he, here's the basis of his hope, for he, the Lord has made with me an everlasting covenant. Now there's three aspects of this verse I wanna point out. It's an everlasting covenant. And then the next word, it's ordered in all things. And the next word, it's secure. All right, so what David is saying is God made a covenant. And here's the basis of David's hope. This should be the basis of your hope. God made a covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. It's an ordered covenant. And it is a secure covenant. 
And he says, and for this reason, will he not cause to prosper all my help and all my desire? So God has promised. See, God has a plan. We've been seeing this plan throughout the Bible. The whole Bible is just one story of God carrying out his plan. Please don't be like me 30 years ago where I used the Bible like a fortune cookie. Open it up and what's God's got for me today? Okay, that's like so elementary beneficial to your life. It leads to mysticism and wondering all this kind of stuff. Learn how to read your Bible. It is a clear story from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, we see God's ideal, his paradise and what it looks like and what it's gonna be again. But sin entered the world and it started to unravel and God graciously says, I have a plan to redeem and restore my people and my planet. And then he just starts laying out that plan, a covenant with Abraham. The one who's gonna redeem and restore is the seed of Abraham. I'm gonna get my people and plant them in a land. And that one, that seed of, of the woman will be the seed of Abraham, will be the seed of David. And he'll be a king like David. And he'll build a kingdom that once was where God lives in reigns and rules in their midst as the holy God. He'll recreate the heavens and the earth. Are y'all seeing the perspective that God's word gives for us? That he is working out this plan. And we're at a point finishing Samuel going, okay, well, he hasn't finished that plan. But he's made a promise that he will finish that plan. And that plan, will he'll be faithful forever to that plan. And he's made these promises. And so what is that plan for us? How does it continue? Well, if you kept reading in the books of Kings, First and Second Kings, also originally one book, you see Solomon is born and Solomon has a lot of potential. Oh, he's gonna build the temple. Oh, this looks like the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Maybe he's the Messiah, but he ultimately sins. And as I've said, the kingdom unravels, it's divided and they're ransacked and they're destitute. And so as the people of God with the Hebrew Bible closes, you have this hope that God is going to keep his promises. He's going to send someone who will restore paradise who is the seed of Abraham, who is the seed of David. And then you get to your gospels and Matthew 1, 1, as you open your New Testament, says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Christ means anointed one. The son of David, the son of Abraham. The word gospel means good news. The gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John proclaim good news. The king has finally arrived. But notice he said it's ordered. And in the order of God's plan, not everything goes according to our plans. The first arrival of the king is he comes as a suffering servant. He doesn't come as a conquering, powerful ruler who destroys his enemies with an iron fist. He comes as a humble, suffering servant, giving his life as a ransom for his people. He first comes as a redeemer. He gives his life on the cross. And the Jews and many people did not see this coming, and so they reject him. But listen to what Paul in your New Testament says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and following. It says, in Jesus... 
we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He, he imagined this in such a different plan than ours, making known to us the mystery of his will. That's what God's doing for you this morning. He's revealing to you his wisdom, his will, according to his plans and purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ in heaven and things on earth. So do you hear his plan? He's saying the gospel where Jesus came and died on the cross to give you forgiveness of your sins was in order. And in the end, all things under heaven, all things on earth will be united in that Christ. And all who want to be redeemed and to be purchased from slavery to sin, to be set free, have to put their hope and faith and trust only in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the first coming of Christ with the promise of the second coming of Christ. Listen to what Paul also says in Romans chapter one. He says this in verse two. He said, God promised, you hear the, the span of time, the, the plans that God has. It says, God promised beforehand through the prophets and through the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the evidence that he is the promised one, that he is the Messiah, that he is the ultimate king because he defeated death. He rose from the grave. That which was our penalty was defeated by the king. When he rose from the grave, he demonstrated that. He proved that. In order, just as he promised, he did it exactly as the word of God has said. I hope your mind is being expanded and your perspective is being broadened to see there is this plan that God has been carrying out along. This Bible is not just a little tidbit for you and yourself being God of your own life. It is a broadening of the perspectives to see where you are a small part of God and his plan. The Bible's about God. The Bible's about God's plan. It's about God's promises. It's about God's faithfulness to those promises. And you get the great benefit of being caught up in God and his plan and his redemption in Christ. This is what you've got to have. This is the perspective you've got to have as you walk along the journey. But every day something's trying to say, it's about you. It's about you. The Bible's about you. The church is about you. Your devotion is about you. Everything's about you. And the Bible says, no, it's not about you. It's for you, but it's not about you. It's about God. According to God's word, as we continue, there's just one last part of the plan to be completed. Paul speaks about this last day where Christ the suffering servant who resurrected from the grave ascended to the right hand of his, his throne at the right hand of the father, waiting for the right time to come back. That's all that's left. Now, some people say that last stage happens in like three or four parts. Some people say it happens in one part 
I don't care which way you go with that as long as you know that's what's next. Romans 14, Paul says, on that day we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, you've been told, it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every single knee shall bow to me, says the Lord. And every tongue will confess. Those who've submitted to him, those who've rejected him on that day will all hit their knees and confess. You are God. And so then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Then skip down to verse 18. And if it's, if it's this is you, then you say, this is what a glorious day. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So for those of us who are in Christ, we reach the end of the journey. There's a judgment day. And those who are found in Christ by faith, evidenced by their life and what they've done, will be accepted in the kingdom and we will rejoice. It'll be a glorious day like Psalm 96 verse 11. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the, let the field exult and everything in it. And then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth and he will judge the world in righteousness. That new day will come and the people He will judge them in faithfulness. Finally, that new day talked about where the judge who is righteous will come and his children, those who are subjects of his kingdom, will rejoice and sing to the Lord about his glory. Is that who you are? Do you look forward to that day? Is that what carries you through the pain and the difficulties? That is real. That should be the perspective that continues to drive and engender and endear you to the Lord to give you what you need to stay faithful, stay on track. But if that's not you, in our second Samuel passage, verse six, we have some words of warning. Verse six, but worthless men, those who reject Christ, Listen to this awesome gardening analogy. They're all like thorns that are thrown away for they cannot be taken with the hand. You ever try to cut your thorn bushes and you don't, I'm too lazy to go get my gloves. And so you just start grabbing them. It's like, ow, every time. That's what this is saying is is like trying to pick up thorn bushes. Some people who reject Christ, you just can't take them by the hand and bring them along. You can't guide them to Christ. You can't walk with them. And there's nothing but a scary day of judgment for them. The man who touches them has to arm himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. Revelation 20 talks about this same last day, the the only part of God's plan that remains. It says in 20 verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and I saw him, Christ, who was seated on it, and from his 
presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. Is your name written in the book of life? Well, how do I know? Are you bowing the knee to King Jesus? Are you hoping only in the promises of God that he said, I will forgive you if you'll trust in the blood of Christ? Period not trust plus anything, just trusting in Christ alone. He is faithful. He's the Messiah. I implore you, do not wait another minute. Trust Christ today. May God's faithfulness give us all the faith we need to trust him for salvation and to continue to trust and obey him in this journey. Father God, we pray for your help this morning. Whether it's trusting you for the first time as king, as savior, forgiveness for our sins. I pray there are many people here this morning who are crying out to you in their heart. Yes, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to bow to you as the true king of my life. I want to be a part of your plan of redemption and restoration. I pray that many will trust you as Savior today. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we will be reminded again of your faithfulness so that no matter where we are on the journey at a a beautiful rest out, lookout mountain or or a difficult, painful part of the journey, that we will all be encouraged by your faithfulness to keep being faithful all the days of our life.